Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. We're a week on from a fantastic conclusion to the British Touring Car Championship. Colin Turkington, of course, took a sensational victory with a, a late turnaround in the race when Dan Camish went off. No one else, of course, has won more than four titles. Andy Rouse is the other driver with four. So it's a good opportunity to discuss who is the greatest BTCC driver. And it's not just between Turkington and Rouse, of course. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me first to delve into this topic is the man with all of the data and the piece of paper, Kevin Turner who has dashed in for this podcast. You have brought lots and lots of pieces of paper with numbers on you, or on them with you, Kev, but you've not brought us uh, coffee, no, which I did it, ask for. I was, well, well your, your message was very unclear, to be honest. I, I thought you wanted me to bring the people that I... So I'm on holiday at the moment. I've come in especially for this. So it was a bit... I didn't really have time to stop off to get your get your beverages. Sorry about that. We normally... We expect this, the, the standards are set high by someone like Karin Chandok, who's obviously very good at getting us uh, getting us drinks and cake and all sorts. So, Well, I'm sorry to let you down. I mean, you've been lazing on this sofa for several hours waiting for me, so perhaps you could have made your own tea or coffee. I've already had a cup of tea. But I, 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 <laughs> what I, are you I'm, complaining I'm, about then? I'm always happy for more tea, but I'm sure you make up for it with your stats and also joining me is matt q now of course you've not brought anything with you but you have got your laptop and you were of course at brands hatch having covered btcc this year oh kev wants to well he's the good looking one of the three of us isn't he so it's all relative that works well. <laughs> yes, that is true it works well on a podcast form that compliment yes, absolutely well they can't they, people, the, the listeners can't can't say that i'm wrong <laughs> they, can, that. they can google matt q that's q with a k <laughs> <laughs> thank you well, I like to think I've brought with me my marvellous sense of humour. and uh, I think Kev only said that because actually there is a certain similarity between <laughs> between Kevin and Matt. They're, they're 
you're a bit like a, a younger, slightly more dashing version of Kev. Can we talk Not about touring old. cars? Good idea. I was there last weekend. It was brilliant. And I look forward to being a smug, cantankerous old person and saying, I was there and it was brilliant in a few years' time. Well, well many years' time. So you're looking Very forward young. to turning into Kev then? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there'll be no cantankerousness on this podcast. Well, I guess the place we should start is Colin Turkington, given it, it's his success. Uh, four titles in 09, 2014, 2018, 2019. And of course, what happened at Brands was uh, a stunning turnaround in, in, in the end. He went into the final race, was it 25th on the grid? An outsider, I must admit, I, I was watching that race on TV and I, I was I was quite confident something would happen. He'd come through to win it because that's just the kind of thing that happens in these finales. But he was massively uh, up against it, wasn't he? I was the other way around. I was sat in the media centre. He made up 10 places on lap one and then another two places, another three places. I was thinking, it's great, but it's ultimately pointless. So, you know, it doesn't matter. And then and then for what happened to Dan Kamish is, is so unfortunate, but it was an incredible way for, for Turkington to win the title. Yeah, I'm in the Matt camp. I thought it was, I thought it was all over. I mean, Camish drove brilliantly to win race one. Yep. Um, and I thought, hmm. And then, obviously, Colin made the brilliant start to race two. And we had a, quite a healthy office debate, didn't we, about the clash that happened at Graham Hill Bend. But basically, Matt Neal spun to Colin round, and suddenly it's, uh, oh, Camish is in the lead, and Turkins is not only going to not score any points, but he's going to be at the back for race three and behind. Uh, in the points race for the first time since whenever it was. Yep. Uh, yeah, third meeting, I think it was. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was all over. Um, but it was oh, it was incredibly dramatic. Um, and obviously, I don't think anyone wanted to see, like Colin wouldn't have wanted to see Camish in the wall at the end. And it, it, was, it was a sizable impact it as was, well. It was, yeah. Um, but well, I, I, think, don't, I don't know if he was too disappointed, to be no, fair. No, but yeah. I'm just, I'm <laughs> but he wouldn't have wanted to see see Camish in the wall. But I think the right man won the championship, which is no disrespect to, to Camish or... Um, yeah, or Andrew Jordan, but I think I think Colin was the right champion this year. But I think what that also does show, we talk about qualities of drivers, I think that ability to get into a race where he knew he was up against, obviously he was very, I mean, you could say negative, he was very realistic going into it, that, that they basically felt that, that there was there was no chance. But he still got in the car, drove a good race, kept it clean. You know, there's a point where he was behind Camish for a handful of laps. He could have tapped him off, bit of a professional foul. And then that would have left it to the two WSR drivers to, to fight it out. But he, he, he kept his cool, he kept, he kept glass, he worked his way past. And I think there's a lot to be said to a driver, actually, who can do that. He can keep their head and just set aside all the circumstances. He drove the race that was in front of him. He didn't try and force the issue or do anything ridiculous. It was just, yeah, go for it. But all you can do is do the best you can do in a given race and hope it comes to you. And I think a lot of drivers in that situation would have overdone it or tried to make up 20 places on the first lap or just got impatient and felt they had to go for it. And I think that shows a good amount of class to do that, particularly in a sprint race. Yep, I completely agree. I think last year uh, he won the title, but with only one race win. And so, you know, he did his business by consistently scoring solid points. Whereas this year, he sort of showed he... He can do everything. So whether it was maximum success ballast, um, he scored a brilliant pole at Alton Park. I know some people will say BMW is quickest, but Touring Cars has measures to bring about performance parity. So, you know, to up to a point, it sort of takes that away. Um, yet, uh, when he needed to, he would keep his head down, consolidate position and just bag those points. And then like we saw at Silverstone when he got turned around um, or, or at Brands Hatch when he got, 
turned around and then was starting the last race in 25th. He can devour the pack if he needs to. He can put the car exactly where it needs to be um, and pull off these brilliant overtakes in a sizable car. Um, so, yeah, you know, he's got the pace and he's got the brains as well. So it's quite a potent combination. I think he's long since been underrated, actually, in the way that he can overtake cars. Even as a four-time champion, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think I mentioned it before, but the 2014 Knock Hill Drive through the pack from the back to fourth with not a scratch on the car. No, nobody was fired off. And yeah, there are a few perhaps better known, more heralded racers in the field that could learn a thing or two from that. He very rarely gets himself Who into... Who could you mean? <laughs> he very rarely gets himself into trouble, but he does overtake people. He's just very good at picking his moment. Um, I think he's one of the cleanest racers on the grid. Still, a f- I, yeah, I, I think class is probably the right the right word, actually. Shall we hear from him? Matt Q, you spoke to Colin Turkington, I think this was an hour or so after that victory. So Colin yeah. sounds still a bit shell-shocked at this time, but you were able to speak to him about it and put to him yeah. what it means. He's to, got a husky voice because he was shouting so much on the cooldown. Like, <laughs> if you, anyone who's seen that, it's a great bit of footage. Absolutely. Who, who can blame him? So you were able to, uh, to try and get him to put into context how he feels about his place among the legends. That was the toughest one. Um 2018 uh, was was such a tough year personally and you know I just wanted it to be over I, I wanted to win the championship and go home um, you know I never felt that I've won the championship in style um, you know even in 2014 uh, I won after race one but then got taken out in race two so I've always I've always sort of left after race three uh, not feeling great about myself so uh, t- to have actually won the championship you know in style um, you know, I I put that in my in my notebook um, coming into the weekend that I'm going to win it in style this time, and you know I've lived up to that. So um, yeah, it's I think it's whenever you're not expecting something and, and it happens, um, you know it, it it means a lot. In life, we all sort of have heroes, but very few of us actually have the platform to be able to go and sort of compare ourselves directly to them. Whereas now you sit here as the joint most successful driver ever in the British Touring Car Championship. So can you sort of put into perspective what your contribution has been to this championship or how it feels to basically, you have to force yourself to consider yourself one of the greats of this series? Yeah, yeah. You, you, I don't feel like a hero, you know. I'd, you know, I, I just feel like somebody who's who's come out on, on top today and... Um, you know, all along, that's what I've been trying to chase is, is just being number one in, in, in 2019, uh, to just just win it um, this year. And, um, you know, I I am in the position that everybody else wants to be in. You know, I've I've been in BTCC for um, for a long time now, but but with with one of the great teams, you know, with great people like like Dick Bennett's and only because of that, you know, I, that gives me the opportunity to win. You know, if I wasn't uh, with West Surrey Racing, I wouldn't have won four four championships. So, you know, I take the glory. I, I'm I'm the man that uh, ties with Andy Rouse, but it's a huge network of people that has elevated me to to that position. So, you know, of course, I'm I'm really proud. You know, I'm proud of um, you know that that I've been able to deliver the the, the teams for for, for uh, the championships for for the team. Um, you know, I'm proud for uh, you know for for my family. I know how hard we work at, at this, and um, you know I think winning championships for sure rewards that hard work. But um, yeah, I, I don't feel any different inside. You just feel like the same person. Well, you've 
driven a DTM car this season. You've said on occasions that you know you've you've looked at GT racing, but I think staying in touring cars is something you see as as sort of the underpinning of your career. So the next question is: Can titles five, six, seven, whatever come your way, so you can establish yourself as undeniably top of the tree, the most successful, the most trophies in touring cars? Uh, yeah, I I don't know. It's um, you know BTCC get, gets gets harder every time and you can see from today it so easily could have been Dan Camish going home as champion or, or Andy Jordan the margins are so so fine um, so it's you know I, I don't target anymore you know of, of course when I start in 2020 I will want to be champion again I, I will for sure want to be champion and that will be the the, the goal but um, you know I think you just have to enjoy the moment you know that the pleasure for me that is standing on that champions podium you know it's that one special moment that that means so much and um yeah <laughs> yeah i'm just uh i just want to go party now <laughs> well the final question is in 2009 you won the championship lost your seat last year you won the championship with only one race win this year you've done it with two laps to go are you ever going to do it in a normal conventional almost boring fashion yeah, uh, boring does not uh, is not a word that ranks alongside BTCC. So um, yeah, you know, there's been some amazing uh, finals before, but you know, for, for me personally, that's um, that's that's you know, I could never replicate that. You know, I, I don't think um, you would have to try really hard to to to, to you know to, to to hype up another BTC final like that. Um, you know, it could have went any one of three ways, you know, right until the end. So, um, so yeah, <laughs> I'm just glad it's over. <laughs> I'm just glad it's over and, and that, you know, we as a team won. Well, good stuff there from, uh, from Colin. He's an interesting driver because I, I kind of divide his, his BTCC career in two in the way that you wouldn't normally expect it because obviously he had a, a period where he was out of it. But there's almost the period where, when he was the the, the, the new driver, and he came in with the, the team Atomic Kitten, which was a basically a second West Surrey racing team in the, in the MGZS. Him and Gareth Howell, both quick young drivers. Of course, he'd been mega in Fiestas and won the title. They only had a, a few good results, and he got eventually that uh, that chance to drive for uh, for Triple Eight in the in the Astra Sport hatch, which which didn't go well for him. It was interesting. So I remember interviewing Ian Harrison, the boss of Triple Eight, probably the following year. And he said that perhaps they judged Turkington a little harshly because Turkington moved on after one year. He only won two races. He couldn't match up to Ivan Muller, but the Sport Hatch was a really tricky car to drive. Muller was great at getting the best out of it. And I almost feel that the kind of up to that point, it felt like he was kind of on, on the up. But then it was kind of that experience then moving back to WSR that allowed him to, to really start to come of age as a, as a driver. I think you see that in the modern age of touring cars quite a lot in that the, the quick guys are quick from the moment they arrive. Dan Camish being an example. Camish, Camish uh, the example I was going to make was really Gordon Shedden. He came in quick pretty much straight away, but it took him a long time to He put, got involved in a lot of, I was covering yeah. at the time, really fantastic. And obviously this is when he got in full time with, with Dynamics rather than he briefly turned up in a Class yeah. B car some yeah. years earlier. But yeah, he, he got involved in a lot of scrapes. It, he, it, he wasn't popular with, with his rivals <laughs> for a period. It takes a long time, I think, to work out how to put a championship challenge together. Um, even if you've got the pace. And I think Colin went through that process. I think Gordon went through that process. You could say, one of the things you could say about Kamish is that he's it's been quicker for him 
you know, he's into his second season and, you know, he's basically fighting for the championship. I think probably having team dynamics and Matt Neal on that side has perhaps helped speed that process up a bit. And obviously, you know, Shed's having left the team at a high high level as well. But yeah, I think you see that with um, um, with modern, modern touring career. The hard thing is is keep banking the points and being consistent and, and, and Collins really worked it out um, to the point where he could win the championship last year in 2018 when I don't think he really... Yeah, I think there were a half a dozen cars that could have could have potentially won that championship, but he was the one that did the job. Yeah, he had one win, Sutton had six, and he still he still converted it. I'd absolutely agree with that. Well, it's it's phenomenally difficult to win that championship, isn't it? Because of the the three race format, the success ballast. It's not a championship you can go out and dominate in the conventional sense. You can't in, in a super touring area. You could go out and win nine races in a season potentially. It's competitive, but it was possible to do that. But if you're if you're the best car and driver package in BTCC, you are going to come out of the season at best with half a dozen wins, probably even with a fair wind, and you might come out with only a few. And understanding that it's kind of that being able to bank kind of fourths and fifths here and there that, that is really the the bedrock of, uh, of of your of your campaigns. Well, to, and to back up your point about that being the sort of watershed moment, if you like, when he got back into. WSR. I, I sort of had a look at the the team, the scores against the teammates um, for the for three of the drivers we're going to be talking about, and 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 Colin lost to his uh, his teammates in the first uh, first four seasons. Gareth Howell in two thousand and two, not uh, by uh, much. A, a quick driver, Gareth Howell. Of course, yeah. he came in with dynamics for a handful of races in 05 and 06 and was it was a race winner. Yeah, um, properly quick peddler. And then the following year in MG, Anthony Reid and Warren Hughes finished ahead of him in the championship. Again, very experienced. experienced. Well, Anthony Reid, very experienced in this sort of thing. Warren Hughes obviously moved over, but quick in these these yeah. kinds of cars. Reid beat him in 04. And then in 05, as you were saying, Yvonne Muller, who many people would regard as one of the best touring car drivers, certainly in recent years, um, uh, in a difficult car. Since then, since he joined WSR again uh, with the MGZS in 2006, he has beaten his teammates every single season with one exception, which was in 2015 uh, BMR VW against Jason Plato. Uh, and perhaps more interesting, which we I think we have to mention, he has never been beaten in the British Tour Car Championship by a teammate in a rear-wheel drive car. And that includes having Jason the following year when they switched to Subaru. Yeah, he, he turned the tables. He I think I think as a front wheel driver, front front wheel drive racer, he was one of the best, but I think he is the rear wheel drive racer of, of the NGTC era, really. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Of course, he has got a lot of experience with rear-wheel driving in touring cars. He's raced BMWs a lot as well, obviously the Subaru as well. So uh, I guess there's an advantage there for someone like Plato at that, at that time who was uh, adapting uh, a little bit more, certainly in saloon terms. Of course, he'd race rear-wheel driving uh, in, in single-seaters a lot. But it's it's what makes it very, very difficult to evaluate these drivers because on the one hand, there's loads, there's loads more races than there used to be. So this is why we're, we are able to see people running up quite big victory tallies. But at the same time, it's now much, much harder to win them. So you might have had a 12-race season back in the day. You could realistically have won six of them. Now you're winning six of 30, and it's probably, it's probably harder to, uh, to to do it. But I think that that calmness and that consistency in eliminating mistakes is absolutely critical to it, and that's what he does so well. And he seems to have the respect of his peers as well. And that does help you, because if there's a point where particularly if there's a championship at stake and sometimes so there are times when people will be cooperative, particularly when someone's coming through the field like that. There's certainly a point where if, if you wound people up in the past, they can, they can make life difficult for you just out of a bit of, well, you can have a bit of payback. So doing it with that class, I think does help you quite a lot. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. He's, uh, to my knowledge, not got many enemies out there. I mean, heading into the finale, uh, Andrew Jordan, his teammate, was trying to stoke up the in-house rivalry. But it, as it transpired, it's mo- it was more that dynamic between him and Kamish, which was the talking point, that sort of um, aggression, the bit of needle, uh, how much they get on whereas uh, it seems to be consummate respect towards Turkington I'd say yeah I think Kamish it was more that this whole you know they've got a DCM car type sort of slight chip on his shoulder approach to the BMWs not directed at the driver specifically more at the kind of overall frustration as he saw it with with the situation so yeah I think we've definitely seen other drivers in the past going into a season finale and other drivers on the grid are less cooperative because they've got history and Colin doesn't really have history with with anyone, which for someone who's been around that long one as much as he has, you'd think, yeah, you know, Jason Plato, Matt Neal, yeah, whenever they're together, even now you get the, oh, maybe something will happen. We don't really get that with Colin and anyone. Um, so I think that 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 does work in his, uh, his favour. Should we start bringing in some of the other drivers now and talk a bit about Jason Plato? Of course, he did win the... Uh the final round that made him, I think, the oldest BTCC. Yep, oldest race oldest winner. person in uh, history to win a British touring car race. Yeah, pretty pretty remarkable at fifty two. Now everybody knows how good Plato has been in the BTCC. Ninety seven wins, which is absolutely sensational. Turkinson only got forty five. Only wins, only yeah. But uh, we know how good Plato is. Just the two titles for Plato, a hell of a lot of near misses. But he has to be in this conversation for sheer volume of victories, doesn't he? And, and we have seen as well, particularly in his, as he's gained more experience and really outstanding performances from, from Plato. Yeah, one of the things I did look up beforehand was uh, if you did uh, the championship on wins, who's won the most wins in the season, which is more problematic with touring cars than anything else because of the success ballast and all the rest of it. it it's much more complicated than that. But if you did give it to the guy with the most wins, then Jason would be a seven-time champion with two others that would have to be decided on count back and then obviously it depends on whether you do seconds or poles or whatever it is. And Colin would actually lose lose a couple. I think you'd go down to one definite and another possible. Um, but I think that probably what that does really is demonstrate just how long Jason has been a competitive force in in British touring cars. So he, he has to be part of the debate. And yeah, ninety seven wins. I mean that is that's well, impressive. Well, of course, it? of course, he he won in the Super Touring era. He came in in ninety seven with uh, with Williams. Got a couple of wins in his, his first year. So he's I mean, you couldn't have expected uh, Turkington to be in at that at that time of the age he'd have been, but it does give him a slightly broader experience, and that he dips into that that previous era, shall we say? And the only drivers that have beaten him in the same team, uh, Alan Menu, <laughs> in his first two years in, in the championship, Ivan Muller, not bad, and obviously he did he did beat him the following the following year, although that was quite controversial. Uh, Colin, when the, himself in uh, Subaru, and then Ash Sutton. Um, who is another champion. So how long he's been around, that's an awful lot of teammates that he's... Well, considering he's, he's been almost continuously present in the BTC, yeah. so not quite. That was a Apart brief... from some uh, glittering, glittering appearances, and it's the uh, it's the Mac U, every time he's on the Autosport podcast, it's a plug for Ascar, where Jason Plato appeared. And uh, to get it back onto touring cars, I get some disparaging looks now. With the exception of 2018, in every season he's been in a touring car, he's he's won. And he left it uh, sort of pretty late this season to do it in the final race of the season. But yeah, back in the front wheel drive car and back back winning again. And as as he said, you know, he he has made some mistakes this year in particular. But the 
fact he's being hauled back in front of the stewards again is because he's competitive again. That's that's good to see. I think we'll get on to sort of legacies and impact, but in terms of what Plato has done, he's you know he is a household name whether you you like him or or loathe him. What he's done, we ran a feature in uh, when we did the celebration of the 60th anniversary, and he said, "Yeah, I have played." the enemy if you like because it's got me sponsorship you know look at the blue chip names he's brought into that but he's brought in manufacturers all by himself you know so uh so his his contribution uh not to go too offbeat and get ahead of ourselves his contribution to the championship has been massive and for us young lads growing up he was he was the one to watch in the say or the astra when you have to say if you're putting him up against say turkington in this greatest debate he has got a star quality that's well beyond what what turkington has. I, i'd say colin turkington He's a very, he's a class act in the car. He's a great driver. You know, he's a, he's a nice guy out of the car, but he ultimately is not memorable in that same way. Whereas Plato's got this this huge character. He does play up to things. Obviously, he's got his TV personality, etc. That you know, that these are things that it's not necessarily wrong that Turkington doesn't have them, but it does it does come into the conversation in terms of their wider appeal and impact. Well, I think it depends what the conversation is. If you're talking about the sort of uh, almost greatest British touring car figures or most important people in the history of it, then Jason is absolutely right up there and well ahead of Colin. I mean, you know, I like Colin a lot, but he doesn't have the charisma, basically, is what you're saying, that, say, a Jason does. Certainly not um, the, the sort of outwardly, if you see what I mean, in terms yeah, he's of very connecting with the, the rest um, of the world. I think you, you always got to kind of disconnect the sort of the personal person with kind of the... On, on a more one-to-one basis or works with the, the sort of the bigger figures yes, should we say fair. but it's always very different um, but I think if you're talking about just the greatest driver then I think it's much closer because Colin has f- fundamentally been able to convert a lot more of his chances you know how, I can't tell you off the top of my head how many season finales Jason's gone to with a chance well, we'd have to and say it's... Plato had there were too many times and I know when I was covering when he had scrapes that he didn't need to have but then he has also been unlucky you know he, uh, I, I, will, should have more than two I will maintain that he was robbed of the 2011 championship. I'm sorry, Matt Neal and fans, but the, the disparity of the turbo versus Jason's Chevrolet Cruze that year was ludicrous. Um, and he should have been champion at a canter. So that would have been three. And he only needs to, he only needs to, it's a bit like the Fernando Alonso situation, a handful of points here or there. And you'd be looking at five championships instead of two. I always remember um, um, a, a, a performance in a losing course. Was it 2009? At the end of the season in the Chevy at Brands Hatch when he won all three races, didn't quite win the title, but so that would have been against Turkington, of course, wouldn't it? Um, and just driving with such class. Um, I, th- I think it was 2009, wasn't it? That was the, the Brands one I'm thinking of. Um, just, and, and you just sort of looked at it thought, if you always drove, at that stage, I was thinking if you always drove like through the whole season, you, you'd win quite, quite easily. And just, just, that's when he kind of did that Turkington thing of, of not getting involved in scrapes. And I think he has got much better on that in, in, in later years. He has, but he still has his moments. I'm sure um, Matt can talk about those uh, in a minute, but I remember looking at, uh, there's somebody who put together a montage of Matt Neal, Jason Plato clashes. Um, and I went through them one by one to pick out who I thought was at fault. And it, it, it was Jason 80% of the time. There, there was a wonderful, when I was covering um, it, there was a wonderful last lap with him and Matt Neal at Snatterton. Oh, Snatterton, yeah. Which is apps and, and it just it got out of hand. But it, it was just, that that was kind of when it was at that peak needle. Yes. And that, that for me, uh, it depends what, how you're judging the drivers, obviously. But I, regular listeners will know I'm quite a purist of that sort of thing. Even with touring cars, you can 
you know, the rubbing's racing, but the firing someone straight off the road is is not really, even in touring cars. And I think that the difference between Colin and, and Jason there is that, you know, Colin can get the moves done without overstepping the mark, whereas Jason has done on many occasions. Yeah, there was a couple this year with... Uh where it's sort of you get the impression that the mentality is you're not coming by because I'm just better than you. So, so the two the two that stood out well notably it was uh, Snetterton, um in he was he was leading the race and got caught by Sutton, and obviously they have a bit of needle. They you know Jason although the details are quite discreet, he's pretty clear that his time at BMR certainly towards the end was not harmonious. You know he felt that Sutton was getting better treatment. Um, and although his anger is probably more directed at the team staff, you know, Sutton by proxy is is involved in that. And so, you know, they have history. There was more than just a, it was more than just a case of battling or squabbling over position. But they, they touched, then they touched again and then once more and it was it was close and you thought, right, almost just let it lie because this is it's inevitable what's gonna happen here. And sure enough, uh, Sutton made a charge for lead and, and Plato uh, I would say took him off. You know, he got done by the steward. So, you know, you'd have to go by that line. He was at fault. Um, and there's a couple of times as well. So new for 2019, uh, there's a new regulation brought in that at the end of the green flag lap, you have to pull up in your grid box, but there can be no amount of the car that's overstepping overstepping the mark. He did that twice. And, uh, you know, he's not an inexperienced driver by, by any means. So, you know, those two errors you would eliminate straight away. Um, but it's good to, it's in some ways, particularly with the incidents, you know, it's interesting to see that because it means he is back at the sharp end. He's, comp- he's as competitive as ever. You know, when he was battling at Silverstone uh, in race two, I think, and uh, him, Tom Ingram, uh, Tom Ingram and Tom Oliphant all tried to take each other out going into Brooklyn. It was brilliant sideways cars and stuff. But yeah, this, the feist is, the feist is still there and uh, he, he has done well this season. Uh, he's sixth in the table. He's done well out of reverse grids and things like that. But, you know, you've got to say, you've got to hand it to the guy. He's still, he's still fast. His yeah. longevity is remarkable. It is. And I think actually when we're comparing these two, we're not really comparing like for like at the moment because I think it's fair to say Jason has lost a bit of an edge. There have been a few times this year where I thought, a Jason from maybe five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, would have nailed a win or something and he just didn't get it done. I think he's lost something. But to be fair, we've he's had his peak of his career and he's on a gradual, you know, however long he goes on for, he's near the end in the beginning. Colin probably isn't there. Well, is he at so, <laughs> but, but we don't know how Turkington will finish. Yeah. You know, will he do a sort of Jackie Stewart, Nico Rosberg style thing and quit when he's still at the top or will we see a gradual decline and then you can compare their careers a bit more fully. So it's, it is a little bit tricky to do before Colin's story is entirely finished. I think you also, to come back to the, the topic about the, the wider impacts, you know, Plato did help the BTCC through some very bad times in the post-Super Touring era. Obviously, 2001, it kind of relaunched with the BTC Touring regs. There were period that there were some very, very shaky years there where there wasn't much star quality, and he, and he did bring it. And and I think he actually, to his credit, he I mean, he knew, he knew the benefit potentially for him personally in terms of getting sponsorship and getting interest doing it. But I think he did also know what role he had to play for the championship as, as well, which I think is a is part of the equation when you're talking about greatness and the, and the impact they've had. And, you know, you you could almost argue that the BTCC is in, in great health at the moment and Plato has contributed to that with, with what he's done over the, over the past, uh, over the past 20 years. I think that's, that's fair, isn't it? Yeah. I don't think you can really, really argue that. I mean, maybe at this point we should bring in Matt Neal 
and talk about him. And the reason I don't quite have him up in this league really is that I don't think he gets quite as much out of the kit as Jason did at his peak or Colin is now. Um, well, their strike rates, for example, you know, Matt started more races than anyone else in British Touring Car history and he's on 60-something wins. Is he at 61? That sounds about right. Six, and, I think he's and, just out of Rouse, isn't he? Yeah, so that's right. And so Jason uh, has got 97 from fewer races. That's a much better strike rate and Colin's on a better strike rate as well. Um, and I also think that for Matt to win the championship, he's required each time to have a slight technical advantage, which is no, just, you know, there are plenty of drivers in motor racing history that's been true about, but that's why for me, he's not quite up there in this debate, but he's worthy of, men- of a mention because of the Plato Neil rivalry that has helped the championship, as you say, through some difficult times. Um, and, you know, we're talking about the two of them more than 20 years after they, <laughs> they came into the championship. Yeah, certainly. Well, well, Matt Neal, I mean, tremendous longevity as well. We might, we might come back to him. We'll do a little bit of a wrap of some of the other drivers at the end. But you mentioned, uh, you mentioned strike rates there. And someone like Andy Rouse obviously has comfortably the strongest strike rate of these three big drivers we're talking about. He's about one in four, uh, for BTCC, isn't he? Of course, four titles. On top of that, five class titles, 60 wins in total. Of course, one in 75, 83, 84, and 85. And Andy Rouse has to be in this debate, doesn't he? A very, a very different driver, and I guess another set of criteria he kind of brings into things. Yeah, he's almost a, it's a, it's not a different different era again, isn't it? I think um, if you're looking at the impact overall of the championship, then Rouse uh, is kind of almost even more important than Jason. Um, yeah, he's really through a period where it was growing. Um, the RS500s, which is just a period everyone still talks about, you know, um, and, and of course he was involved in the formulation of the rules for super touring as well. So really important on that score. Uh, and when you think yeah, he was, he was in touring cars and winning in the, in the mid seventies and still able to hold his own in the early days of, of the two liter super touring era. That's, that's longevity as well, isn't it? Um, I guess his biggest Trump card over the other, uh, the, you know, pretty much everyone else is his engineering. You know, he, he, was able to give himself a technical advantage through some of this period that is impossible now because of the NGTC regulations. Whatever Dan Camish says about the DTM BMW, the gap is still minuscule. Whereas I remember doing a piece um, on the 1987 season when the RS500 was brought in towards the end and Andy Rouse didn't do all the season because he was doing world touring cars. When he did turn up, his average qualifying margin over the next best was over a second. Well, a second can cover virtually the entire field now. So it's a completely different scenario really yeah i was watching as i do in my spare time the 1988 uh race at brands hatch oh, that's brilliant it's amazing between between rouse and saper and you know you got murray walk on a country saying no and here oh, i won't do the voice uh rouse coming along he, he had a uh he had a trick engine with with greater boost it was an experimental engine for that race but you know it it was almost laughably faster in a straight line these two rs 500s you know supposedly the same car saper who was so sideways because he knew that to catch up with Rouse, he had to just pin open the throttle as early as he could. But yeah, Rouse, Rouse put him in a position by having, you know, uh, a huge technical advantage. But fair play to him, you know, at a young age, he was put pretty much in charge of the broad speed operation. You know, well, he well, this showed is, this, this is technical prowess. You've almost got a driver here. Turkinson talks about the importance of WSR. In Rouse, you've basically got someone who's Colin Turkinson, Dick Bennett's rolled into one. And in fact, in that period of broad speed and the Dolomite sprint, he was kind of developing the car and running it and doing his day job. And, and kind of the last thing on the list was getting the thing and, and drive it, wasn't it? Which it, is a very, very different 
world to to what Turkington's doing. So again, it, it's just someone bringing so much more to the table. But I think if you were to find a way to create a, a race where all things are equalised and you take each of those drivers at their peak and put them in it, Rouse is not going to be the quickest of them, is he? No, they're, they're drivers for their own eras, aren't they? Um, I mean, to pick up Matt's point, I mean, the, the Eggenberger Works Ford team had some pretty trick bits on. You know, Group A was, I mean, some of the stories of what they were getting away with with the cars are just fantastic. Um, and many of them unprintable or unmentionable. But, um, and, you know, as you say, the Rouse car was even quicker down the straights. So, I mean, running all sorts of boosts and clever stuff. But actually, Steve Soap was really annoyed about that race because I asked him about this last year. And if you and he mentioned an incident which I hadn't noticed on the footage, but when I went back and checked, he's right. On, on the last lap when he's got a head coming out of uh, Surtees yeah. and he's lining him up uh, to go past, down the hill there is a back marker who's having some sort of weird moment on the grass. Soap is coming downhill, and he's like, "I have no idea where this pillock's going to go." I think that's. I think I'm paraphrasing the words he used. That's broadcastable. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, and he he lifted, and he said, I, "I," he said, "There was no. If he hadn't been there, I was just gonna. I was gonna break later than Andy, and I reckon I'd have won the race." Um, but by lifting, obviously, Andy already had a run on him. Now, you know, you, d- you don't know. But when I went back and looked at the footage, there is a car. I couldn't, you can't quite identify who it is who's having some kind of bizarre moment coming down the hill. And so he said he wasn't brave enough and he lifted. So but it was a fantastic race. Yeah, incredible. I like to think he was thinking of that excuse as he saw it. Okay, I'll, I'll bring this up. Yeah, yeah. But, but one point he did make about Andy, actually, was he did say when you when Rouse made a move and came down the inside, you knew clean. the move was done. Yeah. Is that there was no point blocking because he'd pick his mate and, and that to me is, is more of the Turkington type thing of he's waited for his moment and he's, and he's and he's gone there's none of this kind of nudging and edging off now okay you might say well they touring car racing wasn't as close and especially if you could just turn the boost up and blow by the, well, yeah, yeah, the pressure like is different a lap or 30 seconds ahead of third place in that race so yeah yeah um, I feel like we should mention that it was Carl Jones because if Matt James were here he'd point out that it was Carl Jones that was third in that race huh. um, <laughs> but, but we should we should say what Rouse had to deal with as well was a much wider range of machinery in terms of he's winning in Capris, in Dolomite Sprints, Alfa Romeo machinery, raced. He was still winning in the Super Touring era for Toyota and obviously his final season in the BTC season in 94 in the Mondeo. Of course, he ran that project as well at, at that stage. So in terms of just the broadness of what he was doing, that's just a phenomenal range. And if you watch, if you watch footage from from the 70s when he starts out, the way you have to drive those cars, you know, the nature of the tyres, etc., is so, so different. And the fact that he was still able to be, you know, competitive enough in the early days. I mean, he was a title contender right at the start of Super Touring, certainly. It speaks well of him, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just it's going to the teammate thing now, a little bit more awkward in the Rouse situation because quite often he was the only guy in his team or he had teammates come in and out it wasn't as consistent as it is now but there were there were three drivers that beat him in uh as teammates one of them was gordon spice who was the, the guy Capri. in capris and rouse was the the up-and-coming guy uh, although already a champion by then and actually did did beat him in 82 so he lost him in 80 beat him in 82 uh will hoy 92 in the in the Toyota. Um, again, Andy was running it, and then Paul Radisich both years with the with the Mondeo. So if you think that that's a, a span of, you know, basically 20 years to have only been beaten by three drivers, um, one of them who was a champion and one of them who should have been, that's not uh, that's not too shoddy either. Absolutely. And it's, it's also that thing of different times, isn't it? And the nature of the racing was, was very different, obviously, 
totally alien world, the world of success ballast and performance balancing and that kind of thing that you have in later years. But the way you had to go and race and win in the 70s just was a little bit different. And it was more amateur, wasn't it? In re- ultimately, in terms of the way it's done, but he also did bring some... Uh, some uh, some professionalism to it. I remember on that old uh, that that so it's not that old, but that documentary they did uh, ICB did a few years ago. They showed him the little the little thing he designed to, to sit in his living room and sort of turn a, a weighted steering wheel effectively just to build up some arm strength and that kind of thing. You need it with a Rover Vitesse, don't you? Slightly that around. <laughs> exactly. So you know he he was one of those guys who had a kind of three sixty degree view of race driving and engineering and this kind of thing. So it's it's kind of that. Uh, to, to use an F1 comparison, you're kind of comparing a Jack Brabham type figure to perhaps a driver he might think was quicker. Yeah, I think that's fair. And actually, if you look at um, doing the wins thing for him, uh, he'd have been he'd have actually got another championship. So yeah, he'd win five there, and he was robbed of several titles because of what I do regard as being a ridiculous idiosyncratic class system. Um, although I know there are there are some many levels, there are Kevin. supporters of uh, <laughs> there are very good, very good, um, and he he obviously gained a couple of times early on in his career with that, but then lost it towards the end with the RS500 when you know until Gravit came along with the Okos, you know, Karma tires, you know, he was the RS500 guy, but he didn't win the championship because he kept losing to people in the lower classes. So four championships as is an injustice to Rouse, uh, two is an injustice to Jason, and perhaps you'd say at this point Colin's done well to. His strike rate is very good. <laughs> of course, Rouse, we should say, was the only one to have raced 500 brake horsepower touring cars as well. Which well, is... he's not raced it, but Turkington uh, has driven a DTM BMW now. I oh, right, Camish. Oh, no, sorry. You mean the uh, demo, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I would say he had uh, substantial ballast in the passenger seat that day. <laughs> in the form of? Uh, me, then Paul O'Neill. Excellent. So, uh, slow ballast and then slightly quicker ballast. <laughs> yes or no? It felt quick. It felt very. I was trying to insult you. Oh, okay. Thank you. I thought. I thought I'm lithe. I'm lithe and fit. <laughs> have we? Have we? Are we done? We done? Right. Okay. So uh, <laughs> no. I just on your on your point on adaptability. I think that's fair. That you know a 500 brake horsepower so 100 is very different to a Triumph Dynamite Sprint. On the but on the other hand, Turkington has probably shown uh, the only. The only thing he needs to do now to enhance his reputation really is to go and win the championship in front-wheel drive car. And he has won races in front-wheel drive machinery. And I think he's more convincing as a front-wheel driver, drive driver than Jason has been in a rear-wheel drive car. Um, and Rouse obviously was in the era where they, you know, most of the cars, unless you're in a Mini, they were rear-wheel drive cars. So actually Colin scores quite well there, I, I think, in the modern context. I think the two things, one, what helps Rouse... And it's something that always slightly undermined Volkswagen's period of dominance in the WRC is that they only won through one era of regulations. As, as much as it was a whitewash with OJ at the wheel, the Polo was one set, and then when the regulations changed or and amid Dieselgate, they went. The other thing that helps Turkington is if you look at the field now, we're, we're making a joke out of Rouse and Soper being 30 seconds ahead of Carl Jones. If you look at touring cars now, what's a qualifying lap? 25 cars qualifying within a second. So to extract that pace, especially when he's got the full payload of success ballast, to find that 
not even a tenth, that hundredth of a second over a two-mile lap. That that's extraordinary. And the success ballast really hurt, in theory really hurts you then, because if everyone's that close and the ballast costs you two tenths, you're suddenly several rows back. Yeah. And when you consider how much, what's maximum ballast? Seventy. It's fifty-four kilos. Fifty-four now. now is it? Although I was reading uh, a season review from a few years ago that some cars actually tend to work well with success ballast because it settles down their suspension. But again, it's it's the difficulty of comparing these these kind of areas because even though there's across those three drivers you're covering kind of all the way back to the early 70s really there's a, there's a brief discontinuity between Rouse stopping and Plato starting but it's only a few years so so much evolution in the way the way things have worked so it, it can, comes down to this thing I guess of what each of them is doing in their context shall we say before we kind of try and come up with a conclusion on this should we should we throw in some I know you like an honourable mention Kev <laughs> yeah, you're always in trouble for doing those with your with your top tenors. And you mentioned Matt Neal, great servant to the BTCC, a, a cult a cult figure. Obviously, that famous independent win at uh, at Donington Park in the uh, in the Nissan, and a three time champion. So, you know, great competitor, certainly. Yeah, he's an important part of the of the story, isn't he? And he's got a very similar sort of career in that respect to Jason, but just for me, not, just not quite as good, not quite as much of a big figure for the championship not quite as good a driver even though he's got more titles um you know i don't know what you how you feel mate you've covered you've covered him more towards the end of his career yeah this season he there's no two ways about it he's been trounced by his teammate kamish kamish is lightning quick but then again for kamish this is his day job in reverse isn't it he's used to rear <laughs> drive rear engine 911 and now he's doing front wheel drive front engine um he, no he has he has been thoroughly beaten by his teammate I think the development of the new Honda has suffered without Gordon Shedden who I'm going to throw his name into the ring as as one of one of sort of the the greats if you like um but then again Matt Neal obviously is is still cutting it because he's he's agreed to do what will be his 30th year in British touring cars next season and every time he does look maybe down and out he can bag in a really good result obviously uh although there's some um controversy out of his incident with Turkington at Brands you know he put himself in second place on a on a tyre gamble and every, you know uh, last year it was quite fitting in a way that he won the diamond double Snetterton race to celebrate 60 years you know every time it looks like right he's just gone off the ball then he'll bag a headline result Oh yeah, I will admit that I, on at least one, probably more occasions, I have written that probably Matt Neal's passed his best in the very next meeting. He's done his but, but know, inc- race of the inc- season. Incredible longevity. Um, I mean, he's he's fifty two as well. So r- remarkable what uh, what he's managed to. And it was a it was a great moment. I was covering the BTCC in two thousand and five when he won his first title in the uh, the Dynamics Integra, and that that was a really popular moment, simply because it was kind of the it, it was the the underdog. Well, he's, also, he's fundamentally a nice guy as well, isn't yeah. he? He's much, you know, he's not the controversial sort of figure that Jason is, who is that love or loathe character. You know, Matt is, you know, I know he sometimes you know, has a bit of a, you know, rah in front of the camera, and I've I've actually been banned from his awning before, but I still think fundamentally he is he is a decent guy. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, these things do sometimes happen, but, but you know, Gordon Shedden is a triple champion that's been been mentioned. There's a lot of guys who've won a few titles, aren't there? And you look, you look back. You got Fabrizio Giovinardi won. Couple back to about see Chris Hodgetts in the uh, in the Toyota. You know, Win Percy was very very quick driver, and often he seems to be a driver who's overlooked quite often. Yeah, he's uh, worthy of his own podcast. I think uh, exactly. He's yeah, a but, fascinating career. And the RX7, stunningly, yeah, um, stunningly. Although fast. I mean, that's not a touring car, is it? I mean, that was a Tom Walkinshaw 
special jobby. Well, they, they, um, which Integra, caused lots of contra- controversy at the time. Seven. <laughs> yeah. There's None the, of those um, are touring cars. Some of these drivers, obviously Richard Longman in the Mini, uh, 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 Bill McGovern, obviously famous for the well, the, the, I like the, the 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 I, I, I like the the race, the overall race winners, as I may have mentioned already. Fair. And 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 Frank Gardner would have to be have to be, be, be thrown into yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there are some people, um, particularly north of the border, who are shouting Jim Clark at us at the moment as well. But I think that's a slightly different debate. He was one of the greatest drivers of all time who did British touring cars. He's not a BTCC He's driver. not a British touring car driver, if that makes sense. That's uh, That might sound like a tenuous distinction, but for me, I think it's quite clear. He's a you know, double Formula 1 World Champion, 500 winner, who had fun very effectively in touring cars. It's not quite the same. I know he's not got the titles, but I can't not worship the ground Steve Soper walks on. I think he's fantastic. Uh, yes, he it's is a lot Japanese of success. touring car title. Yeah, he's a lot of success, obviously, overseas, world, European touring cars, but, you know, class act in, in, in the British Championship as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we talked about um, the 60th, when we did the 60th last year, there were three there were three drivers who'd never won the championship who, who immediately... You know, they're the kind of the Sterling Moss figure of the touring car. Soper is, for me, probably number one. Gordon Spice is the other. I mean, he really should have been champion. Uh, you know, the competitive period with Capris, lots of good drivers. He was the best one, but he kept being denied by somebody dominating the small classes. And probably Anthony Reid, probably the best driver of the Super Touring era that didn't get a title. Um, and you probably should have, you should, we probably should mention some of the super touring top guys. You know? Well, Laura Hello is probably the one uh, who, yeah. who stands out with his stunning performances in the Nissan. Yeah, as a, but probably if you were talking about great British touring car drivers, one season he fails on the longevity, you would probably, even though I would put ILO ahead of him in an overall touring car list in British touring cars, you would probably have to talk about Alan Menu. For me, he falls down because I don't think he was particularly brilliant in wheel to wheel combat. I think he was a very fast driver. And I think he would probably be found, I think he would struggle more in the modern knowing how to look after yourself, oh, there are 15 different cars I need to worry about um, era that we have now. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably fair. And I should also mention someone like John Cleland, who absolutely had, had a couple of titles. In fact, to back up your point, he always said that he never really counted the 89 title in the Astra as a, as a proper title because he won it as a class performer, but then 95, he won it outright, and that was the, the kind of proper title. Yeah, I think to raise his game, you know, because he'd come through club racing, and to, to, to raise his game and be able to take on and beat, you know, people that almost got to Formula 1, single-seater ladder, you know, the height of the work super touring in 95 is, is phenomenal. But yeah, just on that point of the Astra, there's a brilliant uh, bit, I think it's on YouTube, of, of, of starting at the back at Sil- Silverstone, uh, and he's uh, so he starts at the back of the field, and before I think he even gets to Beckett's, he has just driven straight past all his class rivals. It takes him half a lap to go from the back to the lead, and the the disparity is you know is ludicrous. Given that we've kind of set our stall out to discuss between those three, do we want to stick any of those mentioned into the the kind of final reckoning? I mean, I think to be very clear about what we're talking about here, I think it's not just the best driver to have done it. And I think someone like Soper kind of should be in the debate but I just think the fact that he didn't quite have that well he, he didn't I was going to say he didn't have a BTCC title he didn't have a BTCC title for very long I suppose is the, the way you should you should say but he drove a McLaren F1 GTR he's not done exactly I mean, it, well, <laughs> an incredible career Steve Soper but, but I think that I think you kind of have to weight of success does have to come into it as well as just how good they they fundamentally were without taking us down a rabbit hole what do we think of the people they were beating at the time so the depth the depth of quality you know how does a camish and jordan is your main title pr- protagonist compare to you know the people plato's beating the people the people rouse is beating 
Well, I think Rouse comes out of that worst because I think the quality of the touring car field falls away when you look at any entry list from the 80s. I mean, actually, at one stage in the 80s, the championship almost died. You know, the grids were really small um, before they sort of sorted it out just in time and then BBC Grandstand and Murray Walker and it all took off again. Um, you know, the quality of the people that he was beating were you know, fell away very quickly. In fact, you remember the, the times that Eggenberger turned up with their car, with Brancatelli or Soper, because somebody was there to to race Rouse. So, that it, whereas I think both Plato and Turkins have had lots of people to deal with. Jason, because he's got that super touring era, I think that has to be the peak of British touring cars yeah, right. in terms of professionalism of the teams and the and the quality of the drives. You know, the worst driver on the grid would still have been somebody. Or did Anthony recall on our recent podcast, Formula One with Mudguards? Yeah, well, it, yeah, it kind of almost was, and the budget's ridiculous and all the rest of it. You had international drivers. Now they still play the British national anthem oh, during the weekend. Di- I, that's the moment I cringe the most on a British touring car weekend is when they play the national anthem. Anyway, that's a, that's a different thing. But yeah, you're right. It was an yeah. international championship. It was a world. It was a world touring car championship. Yeah. It just happened to have all its rounds in Britain, basically. Um, but I don't know whether the modern era actually scores any worse on that because fundamentally, if you could get into the best car you didn't have to worry about how good the other drivers were in Super Touring, whereas now you, it just doesn't really happen. In fact, the closest thing we've had to it probably has been this year with the BMW. Um, but you've you've got to just score those points and get the... I think the thing that, that stands Turkington out above his peers now is that whatever the situation, whether it's whether it's wet, dry, damp, ballast, no ballast, coming through the field, leading from the front, he's got it all he covered. Do it. Yeah. He doesn't really have an obvious weakness. Um I think he's probably the most complete driver on the grid. And actually, I think he's probably a bit underrated in he terms of right, just raw speed. Yep. You know, a few years ago, they said, well, who's he been up against in the same car? You know, he's going to beat Rob Collard. You know, Jason's tucked Rob Collard up this year. But Andrew Jordan, you said, was one of the quickest guys. You know, yep. toe-to-toe with Shedden when they were in Hondas. Yep. Um, I know for a fact that AJ and Gordon used to look for each other on the timing screens at the end of a qualifying session because that's their benchmark. Mm. Well, AJ's got it. And, you know, he's got real drive experience. He's gone in and he's three years he's failed to beat Turkinson. Well, Colin can't just be a points accumulator, really, I think. No, I think last year was a bit excessive in terms of the number of race winners. But if you look at this year, eight drivers, you know, you've got your Suttons in there, your Rory Butchers, Josh Cooks, who have burst onto the scene as real as real sort of potential champions one day. You know, Jake Hill has had a breakthrough season and stuff. So in terms of the quality, there's... There's are several classes within British touring cars at the minute. I think you've got the top class, which is Sutton, Jordan, Turkington. Then you've got uh, you know, the very good, and then there's a big, healthy contingent of good drivers in there as well at the minute. I think the way, the way you're probably looking at it now is it's it's easier to be a BTCC race winner today than it was, say, at the peak of Super Touring. But it's every bit as hard to win a title, and could it be? Could it be harder? Uh, yeah, because I think. In Super Touring, you still had enough freedom of competition that most years there was a car to have, wasn't there? I mean, Ilo, I, I, I'm a huge fan of his, but he did step into Nissan. That was the class of the field. Um, once he got his head around the tracks, which top drivers do very and quickly. this happened at several times. The BMW, since we've been quite early in Super Touring, you had the Alpha in 94 with the wings with Tarquini. So that there were times... Beeler with the Audi. Beeler with the Audi with the four-wheel And then drives. menu with the... With the Laguna, yeah. yeah, there was usually a car to have. And if you were a good driver and you could beat your teammate, which actually counts against Soper, of course, and he would admit, you know, Winkelhock just did a better job in 93. And it was, you know, he, he made no excuses for it. He said, actually, people talked about mine reliability. If you look across the season, we had basically the same. He just 
was when he was on form, he was bloody hard to beat. So fair play. But I guess you have to say the BMW, the WSR BMW is the best car in BTCC this year, isn't it? It's just that the best car isn't worth so much, maybe. Certainly not in terms of, it's certainly harder to deliver the performance of a best car over a season because of the ballast and the grid positions, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and I'd say that if you look at the four types of championship that Colin has won, in 09 it was a proper three-way fight between lead drivers in three different teams. In 2014 he had a car advantage and he absolutely nailed it. Yeah, there was no struggling to the end of the season. He won eight races, he would have won more. He was, I maintain he was nobbled with a grid penalty at Knock Hill and then Jason fired him off at Brand, so he should probably have had 10 or 11 wins. And he, but he won it anyway quite easily. 2018, he won a car that I think was no no better than three or four of the other cars. And I think had Shedden, I agree with you actually, if Gordon Shedden had been in a Honda Civic in 2018, he probably would have won the championship. Um, and then this year, he did have the best car, but he also had one of the best drivers in as a teammate. So he's kind of, other than win the championship in a front-wheel drive car, I can't think of what else he could do to demonstrate the breadth of his abilities really yeah he's he's beaten his teammate and could you say if if Kamish was in that BMW and was a rear wheel drive expert could you say he would have found another two tenths a lap I don't think you can comfortably say that so even if uh Turkington did have a car advantage he still fought off his nearest and dearest even even though um Jordan had that sort of pivotal non-score at Donington Park but the other thing is Yes, the car started the season well. You know, Jordan got this first one at Brands Hatch, but they, you know, fifty-four kilos of success ballast. It's, you know, it's carrying around, a, you know, a passenger for for every race. Then, you know, uh, all non-BMW cars had a power boost of four horsepower. BMW engines themselves were tied back four horsepower. When the Infinity came in, all the rear-wheel drive cars had to have a centre of uh, gravity change, which again hurt the BMW so that you know there is performance parity uh, performance parity between them like I've, I've you know is you don't you can have the best car but what is that worth when it's 25 cars lapping you know within eight tenths of one another how much is that really worth over over 15 laps where you've got the rough and tumble of getting through a reverse grid you know race three to score points when you've got you know we've had mid-race tyre changes this year because the weather's been so unpredictable I actually think although the BMW looks right is a you know it's rear wheel drive which is cool you know it's a four door saloon I'm not sure if it's the be all and end all of what's won Turkington this championship like it's being made out to be I don't quite buy that so let's try and get some conclusions then which is where we're not just talking forever is that that what you're suggesting (laughs) so just to come back to it we we are sticking we're, we're sticking to a final selection of these three yeah, I think okay. it's, I think it's got to be those three. Isn't okay, it? so okay, where, where do you where do you naturally fall, or do we want to play the elimination game and knock out one of the three? Initially, that's the, the real question. Because really, it's you kind of need to normalise it, don't you? For it's it's how well they achieved and delivered within the parameters of their era. For a start, it's not Colin Turkinson's fault. He's not racing a five hundred brake horsepower car, for example, even though that would demonstrate. Breath, should we say? I'm sure he'd be fine in one. Well, he was quick in the M3. That he I don't, drove I don't, I don't, know, I don't that know, be any problem well. with that. But uh, Until he broke good it. drivers can good drivers can drive anything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah. it has to be in terms of their excellence in the era. I, I can play the elimination game. Let's do that. I'm okay. gonna, I will eliminate Jason on two counts. Really, um, one is your point that he's got into too many scrapes and lost himself championship fights. Um, 
And the other one being, I just think it's kind of related, but he has overstepped the mark too often for me during his career in terms of wheel-to-wheel stuff. Um, and and that, that, is the, that is a criteria for me. So I can now hand the more difficult question of uh, Rouse versus Tekken. Uh, are, you, are you accepting Kev's position on, on Plato? Plato is a bit of a hero of mine growing up, so it's, it's Yeah, difficult. but do you think the Vauxhall Astro is a good, you know, the original BTC regs car is a good car, and I just can't... can't I think it's good. It's it. starred by Batone, no less. Anyway, well, I'll, I'll bring it back on. Um... I don't know is the answer because emphatic yes Turkington there's every chance he will go on and win another title and then you know that makes this podcast redundant you know we just go to the stats here I'm the best no you don't just go to the stats goodness me all sport can manage more than that says says the correspondent with six bits of A4 that is true stats are useful but they're not the they're not definitive yeah exactly Uh, I I think just to drill down into Kesman I think the point about has Plato underachieved in terms of getting the titles he should have done and what point what part has he played in that? He could easily be a four times champion. It's not it doesn't mean that it's always been his fault, should we say? But No, definitely not. But there have been a few seasons you think, actually, yeah, maybe if just just you kept a lid on it at the right time. Yeah. Well that, Volkswagen C C when he lost out to Shedden, I think that was car over driver that cost him that. When it was twenty three 13 where he lost out on the title I think that was car over over driver where uh, you know the the civics power sort of proved critical you know there's there's two titles straight away which puts him as alongside Rouse and Turkington so you're trying to get him back in no because I want to go to the pub <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good enough reason we will continue to argue until uh, and, and, until it's done well I'll say Turkington I've had the privilege of covering this year um, I think he's a class act. The fact he's a four-time champion um, is three times on this podcast he's been mentioned as underrated. Um, you know, shows shows how good he is. Basically, that you know he he's he's doing all of that, and people still p- aren't picking up on the full breadth of his talent because he's he's got so many. Yeah, I think he's great. Um, and although he uh, didn't beat his t- t- uh, teammates necessarily in the front-wheel drive machinery, he proved he can win even in the so. Uh, he won his 50th touring car race this year. So we did a bit in a mag about all the cars he's, he's won in. And I gave him a copy and we went through the cars, got to the Astrid, yeah, didn't care for that one. But he, he still could drag it to a result, you know, which shows even if Rouse engineered himself to be in the best machinery, great. Turkington has had to drive what's given in front of him and he still dragged results out of bad cars. I think that's a fair, that's a, you know, that's, a mark of a good driver in other series, isn't it? So it can apply here. It's also the mark of a good podcast guest, Kev, in that Matt Q has given a definitive answer. Unless Colin Turkington. So your definitive answer, please. Um, well, <clears throat> I wasn't sure when I walked in who I was going to go for, but Ed has... Um, it's not the X Factor. Ed has uh, an argument about the impact on the championship and uh, what they're like as a uh, as a figure within that. I think is if we're including that in this debate, then it has to be Rouse. He is still Mr. British Touring it, it Car play, Championship. It plays a part. It plays a um, part, certainly. And uh, and I think, but I think that the caveat is, let's see what the rest of Turkington's career is like. If he can consistently keep knocking out titles and race wins in such a competitive era, then the longevity argument again begins to then push it towards towards him. I mean, for, for me, I think you can make as we have done for any one of these three. Um, and I think 
yeah, I think right now I'm leaning towards Rouse for your for your point on the you know the overall impact on the championship. Yeah, that's fair. Which actually helps Plato as well. You could you could argue, but uh, yep. different type of impact. So you're going to go for Jason then, so that we've got a split uh, panel. I don't, I don't, it, it's it it becomes really difficult because you're you're starting to judge different different qualities, aren't you? I mean, if you were if you were to pick a driver who, in normalised conditions, at their peak was going to race for your life or something, you perhaps Turkington's the one you choose in terms of just just executing that race, and you know he's going to get the most out of the machinery but then if you start bringing in other factors about prepping machinery or about okay and so on, that kind of thing and and ultimately you know that also means that plato's a hard is is probably a when push comes to shoving the really hard stuff can go kind of beyond above and beyond shall we say which has not always worked for him but has done it at times as well so he's really at times been able to, to put it on the line but at this stage it is difficult with with turkins so i, I still kind of just lean a bit towards Rouse at this stage, just for that that all round impact. And I always like drivers who have that that sort of full gamut of uh, things. And always that the driving was the was the bolt on, shall we say? And he was he was there doing his day job, um, running the cars, prepping them, developing them, and jumping in them and uh, uh, and winning. But I wouldn't for one moment argue that if you're talking about who's the greater driver fundamentally. That he's he's the third of this group. I would I would have to say. Yeah, I think that's fair. Does that mean that he gets to keep his trophy that we gave him at the start of the year for the greatest British dual car driver? Because when we decided that Turkington was only on two, but then managed to nail his third at the end of the year and the fourth. Well, I, th- year, I so. think for now, but yeah, Turkington. I think given given more time, um, you know, it's it's not really his drivers. Don't, you don't have drivers now who develop their car in the same way. You're not you're not going to run the team, develop the car, do everything, and then jump in it and 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 win. The BTCC, that's just that's just not going to happen. It it cannot happen today is a very different world. Well, your Jack Brabham analogy works, doesn't it? That's never going to happen in Formula One again. That's absolutely impossible. And the, and it's same for Andy Rouse engineering. You know, that 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 is not gonna I mean Matt Neal and Jason in a way, the closest to it, the way they put their deals together and Matt with high dynamics, but it's not the same. I think also what's got to be praised is how Turkington ensures that he gives WSR the best driver. You know, on my desk at the minute is Plato's book and he, you know, how not to be a professional racing driver. He says quite openly, I chose fags and booze over gym and uh, vegetables. <laughs> whereas, whereas Turkington, you know, um, he has a very strictly controlled diet, lots of fitness. You know, we've discussed he's not the most exuberant guy. He's not out shooting fifth gear. Like he, he sort of lives to win and is in pretty fine fettle to basically minimize any other other factors that might stop him from winning the championship you know i think it is for him i've not really asked him but i think it is probably life consuming for him everything is you know his his wife his two kids are every single race supporting him i think you know he's made a hell of a lot of sacrifices actually for that championship i I think that's a very good point actually and i think that, that i've had the other conversation with jason which is basically so long as i go to the final final round obviously he hasn't had this for a couple of years but I just want to get to the final round with a chance to win the championship. If I win, great. If not, it's not going to change my life. I've got two championships. He's made probably more money out of British touring cars than anyone else, I should imagine. Certainly as a driver, you know, he's got everything in perspective. He's the best worker in terms of sponsors and all that. You know, he understands the game, if you like. Yeah. And maybe you'd say that that takes a small percent off what he's that, like you're saying about Colin, is that he's not got all that other stuff going on. He's just focused on winning that championship getting the best out of the car um and i think it it for it works for both of them in their 
in their lives. But in this debate, our weighting is towards is, is towards getting the job done on track. Yeah, and it's difficult because that does need the time for the dust to settle on people's careers, etc. Which obviously it has done emphatically with Andy Rouse, whereas Tokenson and Plato are still uh, are still kicking up the dust uh, every every few weekends. So that there's still more time for for that kind of context to to kind of build, should we say? But it's it's just indicative of the way motorsport changes, isn't it? That the challenges at any given time are, are vastly, vastly different, and 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 they're not. They're all each of those three are probably drivers of their time, really. Yeah, and and I know that there, whenever we do one of these greatest debates, there are some naysayers that well, you just can't, you just can't decide. There's no definitive answer. It's like, well, of course you're right. There is no, there will not be a definitive answer. But that's not very fun, is yeah, it? This is, it also doesn't fun. really matter who's better. The, the, no, the, the fun is the journey and it's the debate, understanding what makes what makes them work and what makes them so so strong and effective. And yourself. quite often doing this, you find, you sort of highlight the differences of the eras and, and, and you sort of get them into context as well, which I think is, is, is important. Yeah. It's all about uh, learning, but yeah, we've, uh, well, it's sort of two, one, two, one in favor of Rouse then. So we have to say Rouse is still ahead, but it's, it's always tight, isn't it? That's a slightly surprising result in a, in a way, but I'm a sore loser. So I'm not coming back on the podcast. That's fair. We won't. Oh, no more Ascar references. We, we, exactly. We won't invite. Oh, I take it back. <laughs> we won't invite you back on. Uh, Ed Straw, anyway. who's driven in Ascar, no Yes, I have. I had. I did try. With a, a terrible try. goatee. Yeah, that, the facial hair of that era of my life was not good. But more hair on the top of your head. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's uh, that's faded as the years have uh, have gone on. Um, but uh, yeah. Well, for BTCC fans, there's the. Uh, I presume the review of the championship season is in the Thursday of October. Ah, so that's, that's, is that a week? A week on Thursday. It's the 18th as we record. Yes. What day is it going out, Ed? This will be out on Monday. I Beautiful. promise my editor who sat next to me it's well underway. I'm sure it is. <laughs> Including yeah, the yeah. ever controversial top 10 driver ratings. Oh, I've, I've written those. I Excellent. wrote. Yeah. Don't, don't give it away. Don't give it away. I won't say when I wrote them. I was just going to say also, it was nice to be able to put Colin Turkington and Rich Twan Carls on the cover of the magazine this week. Yeah. Um, on the normal course of events, it would lose out to Formula One. But we know that Bottas perhaps isn't the most box office, unfortunately, even though he's a nice bloke. And it was such a dramatic finale. I was watching thinking, this is this is the sort of excitement that people always say they want. Well, here it is. So uh, exactly, yeah, let's, yeah, let's do it. Give the people what they want. Uh, but yes, I do pick, out, pick up a copy of the mag uh, both this week and, and the following week some BTCC coverage. Have a look at autosport.com, all the latest news and formula on the rest of the world of motorsport on there. This podcast is out usually every Monday and Thursday. Subscribe free. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, Offering professional-grade industrial supplies, plus real-time product availability and access to experts ready to answer your toughest questions. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.